the rest of y'all, again, are stuck with, with me, but I, 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 gotta, I think it's going to be a good message from the Lord today. Um, it's fun whenever God reveals things to me and I get to share it with you. You know, it's just really cool. Um, always looking for a fresh revelation and something new in the Lord because there's always something new in the kingdom of God to explore. You know, I, you know what my biggest fear was when I went into ministry? It was running out of things to preach about. And here I am, my goodness, I started in youth ministry back when we were like 20. So we're going on 20 years of ministry now. And every time I open the word of God, I find something new to talk about or to, to learn about. And so it just proves that it's a living word. It's alive and active, right? Always applicable to us here and now. So the past few weeks, we have learned how we are fully known by God, but also fully loved and understood by God. He knows absolutely everything about us. In fact, we learned that God is omniscient. That means that he is all-knowing. Last week, we learned about how God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere all the time. There's nowhere you can go to hide from his presence. Yet we were encouraged and invited to go beyond God's general presence and to be fully aware of his intimate presence, to enter in uh, without a divided heart and mind, to have those those personal encounters with him. We were purposed for the presence of God. In fact, the sacrifice that Jesus made, the reason he said it was worth it was because it was only through his death and resurrection that he could send his presence, send the Holy Spirit to dwell within our lives, to dwell within us, in our hearts. It's huge. Jesus considered the cost worth it because he said that that even though he was physically leaving his disciples, it was going to be better for them. It's hard to understand how, how anything could be better than having Jesus physically there with you. But he explained that it was through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that it would actually be better, better than having Jesus there in the flesh. And so it only seemed right this transition to this week, to transition right along from God being omniscient and omnipresent to the attribute of God being omnipotent or omnipotent, depending on how you want to pronounce it, both are correct, Um, omnipotent. God is all-powerful, all-powerful. And this is honestly one of the most misunderstood attributes of God. You know, I've I've had people challenge me before with that question of, you know, well, can God, um, you know, can God then construct a mountain that he can't move? It's sort of that, that double, like, well, can he do anything or can he not do anything, you know? It really makes you kind of scratch your head and think about it, but we'll, we'll talk about that another time. There's a real easy answer to that, and you'll have to keep thinking about it. I'm not going to tell you what it is. So anyways, um, God's power. Because the interesting thing about power is that power is only revealed and understood when its limits are put to the test, when it is able to be proven. Power refers to one's potential strength. You know, um, growing up, I used to go up to the Ox Hill Fair back when it was actually on Ox Hill Road, and my dad and I would watch the, uh, the, the uh, tractor pulls, you know, and not these new giant diesel hundreds of thousands of dollar machines. I'm talking dude took his tractor off the farm, strapped a bunch of weight to the back and said, how far can I go, you know? Those are fun times. You got to see people bust axles and everything, but... But that's the only way you could prove the potential power and strength is to put it to its limits, right? Um, For example, you could go out and you could spend a few million dollars and pick up this 
this um, DeVille 16. I've never heard of it before until looking into this. This is currently the most powerful commercially available vehicle. It boasts a 5,017 horsepower engine and 3,760 pound-feet of torque. Like, I, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around that. 5,000 horsepower. I mean, my motorcycle's got like maybe 75, and I know what I can do with that, you know? I mean, I can't imagine. can't imagine 5,000 horsepower. It's, it, it's powerful. However, you could go out and spend a couple million dollars, drive, buy this car, and then just casually drive it around town. You know, I see that all the time. Like, I'm flying by the, this Mustang, and I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm in a little four-cylinder car. Like, come on, you know? It, it's, that power would never be fully realized. Christians have access to the raw power of God, yet most of us are content to be Sunday morning drivers, you know? We got the power of God in our lives, and yet we drive around like little grannies in life. You know, no offense to anyone over the age of 40, that's, that's my cutoff right now. <laughs> but think about it. We don't, we don't realize the power of God that is accessible to us. Because we never really put our lives to the limits. We never put the pedal to the floor and see what we can do. We're just content to kind of bounce about our everyday lives, get pushed around by circumstances. And we don't realize how strong we are until we actually walk through circumstances that take us to our limits, that we thought we would break, that we would be broken if we ever had to deal with that. But then you live through it, and you realize you're stronger than you thought you were, right? That's when you realize how powerful or how strong you truly are. Um, but in fact, that's just a partial truth. We're going we're gonna to talk about the, the fullness of that truth a little later. So God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There are no limits. There are no limits to his power. You can't take them to the limits because they're just not there. It's boundless. All power, all authority over all things is his. God reigns sovereign over all. That means he can pretty much do anything he wants to do. He reigns sovereign. He answers to absolutely no one for his actions. Has God ever asked you for advice or, you know, kind of got your permission to do something? No. God's ways, his actions, they are always right, they are always good, because God is entirely righteous and entirely true. And I love that you see this, this revelation in the scriptures, especially in, in the book of Job. Because Job and his buddies are sitting down and they're talking about his misery and they're trying to figure out why, and their buddies are trying to convince Job that he did something wrong, and Job's like, no, I'm righteous, and you know, it's just, they go on and on and on. They go on for like 38 chapters. Without ever going to God. <laughs> you ever do that in life? You, you, you talk to people, you complain to people, you get advice from people. And if you really stop and think about it, it's like, you know, did I ever actually even go to God and ask his thoughts about it or his plan in it? I got to admit, a lot of times I don't, you know. I'd rather whine and complain and say, woe is me, you know, like Eeyore. So God finally responds to Job and he essentially asks, well, who are you? in the end here. Job chapter 42, and I'm going to read, just for time's sake, I'm not going through the several chapters where God responds, but uh, just a few verses, and I'm going uh, to Job chapter 42, verses 2 to 6. 
And finally, after Job kind of, or got, the Lord kind of lays out Job, Job responds and says, I know that you can do all things. I know that no plan of yours can be ruined. You asked, who is this that made my purpose unclear by saying things that are not true at all? How often do we muddle up the purposes of God because we don't take time to ask God what his purpose is for them? Then Job said, surely I spoke of things I didn't understand. I talked of things that are way too wonderful for me to even know. You said, listen, now, and I'll speak. I'll ask you questions, and you must answer me. Now my ears have heard you before, but now my eyes have seen you. So now I hate myself. So I will change my heart and my life. Job decided he's going to repent. He's going to change some things about himself in response to uh, what the Lord had said. God even says to the prophet Jeremiah, and we quote this all the time, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? In my prayer life, I like to remember this verse often. Because often I'm looking at things I'm praying about, and I'm like, Lord, I have no idea how this is going to work out. You know, and, and you got to remember there is nothing too hard for our God. There is no such thing as impossible with him. Nothing is ever too far gone. Even a physical body could be dry bones in the desert. And yet he, with just a prophetic word, can bring them back to life and raise them up as a mighty army. I mean, there's nothing too hard for him. Uh, think, about, think about Jesus when he kind of Lazarus. He said, I'm glad it took me days to get here. Like, that's just such a cruel thing to say. But he was glad so that they could see beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That he has the power of death, right? And he raised Lazarus even though he was a little stinky and a little decayed and a little rotten. He raised him back to life. God's power being boundless can never reach its limits. It can never be fully known and understood. However, his power is revealed to us. In several different ways. In several different ways. And again, I wish I had a cool object lesson illustration, but I got, I got the word of God, and that, that's enough. First of all, it's revealed through his creation. I mean, just take a look at his creation, how powerful it is. We can build some pretty amazing things, but with just the wind, God can bring it all to absolutely nothing. That's how powerful he is. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12 says this, God made the earth by his power. He made it all by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. His power created. Um, Romans chapter 1, we, we, I'm going to just for time's sake skip through just a few verses. But it tells us that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. People who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. So none of us are ever with an excuse. Everything about God can be known. Um, it says in verse uh, 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. But instead, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. So God reveals 
his eternal power through creation, through the created things. And what do people do? Instead of worshiping the creator, we worship created things. And hence you get things like substance abuse, you know? You sacrifice your life for these created things. Instead of thinking, man, if created things are this good, how good's the creator, right? How good's that? You want to talk about some good stuff. Now, going back to God's response to Job, the Lord reminds him of his power revealed through all these details of the natural world. For time's sake, we're not going to go through it all again, but just a few. In Job chapter 38, it says, the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. This is when the Lord find, you know, first starts responding to Job. And he says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? You ever find sometimes the people that talk the most really know the least? <laughs> you know, the Bible says that even one who is silent is thought to be wise. So remember that maybe it's a word out there for somebody. And then God says this to Job, brace yourself like a man. I'm going to question you and you're going to answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy, where were you? Who shut up the sea behind doors? When it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds in its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed set limits for it and set doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther? Where were you when I did all of this? And then he goes on and on and on and on about, you know, the, the Leviathan and its giant tail. And, you know, so there's dinosaurs in the Bible. You know, I think it's a bronchiosaurus in my opinion. But it's just so crazy to think about, you know, that the Lord is all powerful. If he could create this entire universe and all of his vast galaxies, it's nothing too hard for him. And there's way too many other examples um, you know, to detail out, um, th there was ma the massive quail migration that came in, right? That God brought in response to Israel's whining. There was the parting of the Red Sea, parting of the Jordan River several times. Um, the withering fig tree when Jesus cursed it. The miraculous catch of fish when Jesus told Peter to cast their nets on the right side of the boat, even after they caught nothing all night. And he did that twice. Um, Jesus, who was walking on water, who, who calmed the storm with just a word, God's power is revealed through creation and his authority over it. He created it so he can control it, right? Everyone's mama told them that, right? I brought you into this world. I can take you out. <laughs> yeah. The Lord has power and authority over everything. There's so many examples of this. He, his power is revealed through creation. God's power is also revealed through his judgment. His judgment. It's hard for us to ignore God's power when you read through some of these examples, like the Egyptian plagues, for example, that served as both judgment against Egypt for the Pharaoh's treatment of the Israelites, and also it, it was a sign to prove that the Lord was the one true living God. There was no other God. All those gods of Egypt were nothing, nothing. In fact, the Lord told Pharaoh through Moses this in Exodus chapter 9, verse 15 to 16, he said, by now I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth. Right? See, God did say it. I brought you into this world. I could wipe you off of it. 
God said, but I have spared you for a purpose. To show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. God had a purpose behind those horrific things. And it was just to reveal his power. His power and to make himself famous. Then when God's people chose to band together and to rebel against Moses and Aaron and their leadership, right? We saw God's power revealed in judgment against God's own people. At just one time. All at one time. There swallowed Korah's entire household and all their belongings. The Lord's fire consumed 250 men who were offering incense. And 14,700 people were killed in a plague. And that was just because that's how long it took Aaron to go and to make atonement for their sin. As soon as, as, soon as Aaron made atonement for their sin so they could be forgiven, the plague stopped. God's judgment reveals his power. And without a doubt, without a doubt, we can find this all through the scriptures, from one example to the next, but Kors is probably the most um, you know, clear about that, that God's blessing does not rest on division. God's blessing does not rest on a divided people or on rebellion. And this is really hard for us as Americans because, you know, we, we were a, a nation created in rebellion, you know. Take this king, and, you know, he probably didn't even read it for a while, but it's hard for us to understand that, that his blessing doesn't always rest in that, unless there's a, a, a lead justification. Now, another display of God's power through judgment, of course, were the towns of God, Sodom and Gomorrah. You can't forget them, right? Burning sulfur, destroyed every living thing. And at Lot's request, he actually spared a town that we don't think about very often, Zor. It was going to actually be included in that judgment, but, um, but Lot was like, I can only run so fast. And so the Lord spared the town of Zor so that Lot could get out of the way of destruction. You know, there was going to be a third town that was destroyed as well. And we can't overlook the greatest judgment ever poured out. This judgment exceeds even the judgments in Revelation, which the guys have been studying through. You know, all those different judgments that are poured out during the tribulation period. The judgment for all of sin that was poured out on Jesus. The punishment of all sin, the weightiness of that placed on him in just a moment as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The power of God displayed not only through the death of Jesus to take on that curse and to take on the penalty of sin, but also his resurrection, right? Proving that God has power and authority over sin, over every work of the devil, even over death itself. And that same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave lives in who? Us. Me. It lives in me. That same power. Power of the Holy Spirit lives in you. God's power was revealed through his judgment. And it was not only an Old Testament manifestation. When we think of the judgment of God, that's usually what we think about. You know, all these different judgments in the Old Testament. But even uh, under the New Covenant, the Lord didn't spare. I mean, think about Ananias and Sapphira, right? They were lying about the amount that they profited from the sale of their property. And God didn't care that they kept some back for themselves. He just cared that they lied about doing it. They both felt dead as they worked together to conspire against the Lord in their lies. In fact, there's plenty of evidence to indicate that that now that the new covenant has been made by the blood of Jesus, 
that the judgment of God is actually a little more severe in the new covenant than it is in the old covenant. In fact, the, the, you know, God writes in his word that if, judgment, if the judgment of God is going to begin, where is it going to begin? The house of the Lord in the church. It begins with us. But for example, we find this um, in, in Matthew chapter 11. It says, then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed. This is really interesting when you think about this, this reality. God has a purpose behind everything he does. But he never overrides our will. And so if he does something in our lives and we don't respond in the way that he had purposed, Jesus, in all these towns that he did these miracles in, raising the dead, healing the sick, the blind could see, the deaf could hear, you know, driving out demons. I mean, you name it. He, he performed all of these miracles, the provision that he brought. <coughs> After he did all these miracles in all these towns, he began to denounce those towns because they did not repent. Then it says, you know, Jesus said, and you, and he goes through all these towns. There's one in verse 23. It says, and you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this very day. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. He goes through this town where he performed all of his miracles and he starts denouncing them. And he says on the day of judgment, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for those towns that didn't repent. Now, they spread the word about Jesus. you got to check this Jesus out. He's awesome. You know, he does all these miracles. And you go see him if you're sick, if you need something. You know, they, they spread the word about him, and they're excited about him. But they didn't repent. That's what Jesus wanted, their hearts to turn back to the Father. That's, that was the purpose behind all of his miracles. And because the people did not change their lives, they did not turn back to the Lord and turn our hearts back to the Father, he says it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than them on the day of judgment. And speaking of which, God's power is, of course, finally revealed through miracles. Through miracles. Now, this is the most personable, personal and applicable revelation of God's power, is to receive a miracle from God. And so just out of curiosity here, how many of you, by raise of hands, have experienced a miracle in your life. There's no other way it could happen but God. Alright, so take a look around this room here. There aren't too many hands that are not raised. Who have experienced an undeniable miracle of God. That was God, you know? So cool to think about. He loves you that much to manifest his power through a miracle for you, for your good, for your benefit, or through you for the good or benefit of others. Um, this is what separates the gospel of Jesus Christ from really any other world religion or system of belief. It's the power behind the gospel. The power of God. The undeniable evidence through his miracles. The gospel of Jesus Christ is backed up by God's own power through miracles that serve as signs and wonders. Miracles serve as signs and wonders to make people wonder about this God and to point them to him, right? So that they would repent. In fact, um, there's several scriptures that, uh, that we can use about this. I'm going to jump to Psalm 77. 
um, in verse 14, just for time's sake, that the whole psalm talks about the miracles of God. Um, it says, you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. So miracles do. They display, they demonstrate the power of God and how he personally and intimately loves you, cares about you, and wants to take care of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And so it was with me, and this is Paul speaking, brothers and sisters. Paul said, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We got a pretty simple message, the gospel message. Jesus Christ, him crucified. Of course, resurrected. Paul said, I came to you in weakness, with fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration. A dem where am I here? Demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. If you want to give people a salvation that's going to endure through hardships, they need to put their faith not in people or people's arguments or debates, but put their faith in the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul came with. Now, he was a very learned man. He could be very eloquent of speech. It wasn't that he could not do those things. But instead, Paul chose to come in weakness and humility and fear and trembling, claiming to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. So that they wouldn't trust, because there's a whole history behind this about the, the whole town of Corinth and that region. They relied on so many, they, they just followed the wind with whatever the coolest teaching was at the moment. And Paul didn't want them to rest on the newest and latest trend in the church. They want, he wanted their faith to rest in the power of God, because that transcends everything else. In fact, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, Paul teaches us that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Now, you wouldn't know that walking into most churches. Ours included, right? There's all kinds of talk. I mean, I blah, 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 blah for like 40, 45 minutes every week. There's lots of talk in the church. But the kingdom of God, it's not just about words. The reason that we emphasize these words is so that we all would take these words and put them into action so that the power of God would manifest. So that you would put your faith in the word of God so that his power could prove that truth in his word. Because let's be honest, I'm going to say something that might be controversial here, but it's just a truth, okay? Anyone at all can read the text of this book put together a sermon, put together a teaching. They could quote it. They could know it inside out and backwards. It's a book. It's words. But the kingdom of God goes beyond that. It's not enough just to know it and to teach it and to quote it and even to be able to preach a sermon about it. What we need is the power of God behind it. And that's why actually in the book of Acts it says that, that, that signs, wonders, and miracles followed the preaching of the word so that it would prove that it's not just words. When Jesus taught in the synagogue, a demon spoke up and said, what are you doing here? It's too early for this. And people were amazed as he drove that demon out. Demons aren't church services, are they? Yeah, they, they hang out in churches. 
Um, but Jesus did that, and everybody was in awe of the power and the authority that he taught with. It wasn't like the, the elders and the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the teachers and the, the, what are the people that read scrolls and, and learn the, anyways, the scribes. You know, his teaching wasn't like their teaching. Even though it was based on the same word, it was based on the same word. His teaching was different. It held power and authority. And that should be us too. Not, not just quoting the word of God, but more of a show and tell. <laughs> let's tell them about it, but let's show them what that power is as well, right? Because it's not just the words of scripture alone. It's the, the demonstration of the words that really change lives. We need an accompaniment of demonstrations of God's power. That's what truly draws people to Christ. That's really what encourages people to selflessly lay down their lives in faith in him. Because people can argue with the word of God. They can debate it. But what really challenges people is the demonstration of its power. That's what you can't deny. That's what messes with your head. That's what shows you there's something to this. That's hard to deny. In fact, Acts chapter 4, verse 13 to 14, it, you know, there's this whole dispute that breaks out. And it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had simply been with Jesus. But since they could all see the man who had been healed standing there with them, this man was crippled, he could not walk, but there he was standing, it says there was nothing they could say. Nothing they could say. There's nothing they could say because the man was healed. He was standing there even though he was a cripple from birth and they could see it. There's nothing they could say. It's the power of God. That's what we need. We need more of the power of God. More. And it's ours, right? That's why there's no need to hide our past or allow shame and condemnation to keep us quiet about our weaknesses. For when we are weak, then he is strong, right? He's strong. God's power is revealed through our weaknesses when it couldn't be him. Because he, he ain't the smartest tool in the shed. Unschooled ordinary men, okay? It's okay if that's where you're at. Let the power of God prove itself, right? Sometimes we're too smart for our own good, and that kind of limits God's ability. It's when we say we can't, but God can, and you you step out beyond your limits. That's a scary place to be, isn't it? When you step out beyond your limitations and you are bold enough to say, get up and walk. Now, Peter and John, they could say that to, you know, a thousand cripples and nothing might happen. But because the Lord was leading them in that moment at the gate called Beautiful to reach out their hand and be like, Dude, I'm broke. Literally, that's what they said. I got no cash, but what I do have, I'll give you. Get up and walk. And he stood up and walked. Started praising God, jumping around. That's called faith. What was Jesus concerned about? That he would come back to the earth and would he find faith? Are we willing to step out beyond ourselves and to admit, I can't do this thing but God promised to. Let's put him to the test. Let's prove him to be true. And that's when you encounter the power of God. When you are beyond your limits, that's when the power is revealed. 
And that's what, that's what the early church did. That's all that they did. They couldn't do anything on their own. But they trusted in God. They trusted in his promises. And because of that, they were able to reveal the power of God through miracles. Miracles that display God's power. And that might be the very purpose. That may be the very purpose. Now, the, the, bear with me because I know this could be controversial and, and whatnot. But that could be the very purpose behind sickness or disease or lack or need or some other thing that you're experiencing in your life god may be allowing it for a purpose and that purpose is to reveal his power to give you a testimony of his power to show that you couldn't and doctors couldn't and the banks couldn't but god could but god could it's not that God causes these things, but God permits these things. Just like the devil. The devil had to get uh, God's permission to go after Job and all of his belongings and everything except for his life, right? And what did God say? In fact, if you read that account, not only did God give the, give the devil permission, God actually recommended Job. Hmm, have you considered my servant Job? God actually is the one who, who not only permitted the devil to do all those things, but recommended. Now, of course, what God, did God do at the end? He restored double everything that was taken, because that's how good God is. But think about that. What did Jesus tell Peter? Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And did Jesus say, but I ain't going to let him do it? No. Jesus said, but after you've fallen... I'm praying that your faith would be restored and that you would lead my people. Satan had to get permission. The devil has to get permission. When you are the Lord's, you're his. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And there ain't nothing he can do to you without God's permission. And potentially your own. Got to dig into that a little deeper, but and potentially your own. But God permitted them for a purpose, and his purpose might just be that God's power would be displayed for all to see. Here's a New Testament example of this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind, blind from birth. In verse 2, his followers asked him, Teacher, whose sin caused this man to be born blind? His own sin or his parents' sin? Who done gone and done it? Whose fault is it? And don't we, that's what we first go to do. Whenever troubles come our way, God, what I do wrong? Where did I miss it? Lord, forgive me, right? We, we think it's sin. That every bad thing that happens in the world is a result of sin. You know, which it kind of is because the original sin with Adam and Eve falling. But Jesus answered, and he said, it wasn't anyone's sin. Wasn't this man's sin? Wasn't his parents' sin that made him blind? This man was born blind so that God's power could be shown in him. That seems cruel that God would intentionally... Allow a man to be born blind and, and literally stumble the face of the earth for all those decades. Because I think the Bible says in one of the other um, uh, Gospels that he was almost 40 years old. Or maybe that was the man who was able to walk later. But anyways, he's a man, full-grown man. He was a allowed to stumble through the earth for all that time. And, and when he was questioned about it, Jesus said he was born blind so that God's power could be displayed. And then, boom, he was able to see. God's power was able to see. God has given us power to destroy every work of the devil. Every work. But the devil, you know, he, he, 
we talked about this earlier, and we'll give that example. You know, the, the man's there, he's possessed by a demon. Jesus sternly tells him to be quiet and to come out, and he did. And the news about Jesus spread throughout the surrounding area. But God has given us power and authority over every work of the enemy, even to cast out demons. Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 20, says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even the handkerchiefs and the aprons that he had touched were taken out to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. The power of God displayed in undeniable ways through miracles. There is miracle-working power in the name of Jesus. And if you're questioning whether this is something that you're even capable of, whether it's something you're even potential, have the potential to, to do, to be a miracle worker, can God really do that in and through your life? To take a look at this example as we read on in, in, um, in verse 13. It says, some Jews went around driving out spirits who were evil, and they invoked the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And it worked most of the time. Then they come across this other dude who had some evil spirits. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest. They were doing this. And then one day, the evil spirit didn't leave, but the evil spirit answered them. This is something new, something a little unexpected. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Paul? I know about him, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of that house naked and bleeding. What, what a testimony, right? When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. What is the purpose behind miracles? Repentance. Here you've got a group of people who believed in the gospel, but they never changed their lives in response to it. They believed it was true that Jesus, you know, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for their sins, and rose again to life. They believed in it intellectually, but it never got down to their heart to make any life change. Many of those who believed now they came and they openly confessed what they had done. A number of them were practicing sorcery. They brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, it came to about 50,000 drachmas. And you can look in your Bible's little reference there to how many dollars that is today, USD. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. There it is. They believed in the word... But they never experienced the power of it, the power of the gospel message. But once they saw what those evil spirits could do, and this thing was for real, that the seven sons of Sceva were messing around with, then they come out and they repented of their evil ways, the sorcery that they were practicing. Then life change happened. And the scriptures, they're full of miracles that reveal the awesome power of God. The whole New Testament is full of them. We could go over so many examples today. But the demonstration of God's power through miracles, it is purpose to draw people to him in surrender of self. That they repent, that they change, that they surrender their lives to the power of God so that the Holy Spirit can create it within them a new creation. 
That's the purpose behind miracles. They motivate us to enter boldly into the fiery presence of God and allow it to burn away our old selves, crucify that old self, and anything at all that is in opposition to him. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's been a miracle working from the beginning when he was there at creation. He was a miracle worker throughout the old covenant. He was a miracle worker throughout the uh, new covenant, in, as we find revealed in the New Testament. And he's still a miracle worker today. He still is today. He's still doing miracles. He can find testimony after testimony. And if you want one, just look around the room and ask someone who had their hand raised. How Jesus is still performing miracles today. Miracles are not evidence of us and our spiritual condition. How sinless or how holy you are. Miracles are not about you. They're all about him. So don't discount yourself from receiving or for performing the miraculous because it's not about you it is about God it is about his Holy Spirit within you and it is about pointing people to Jesus so that they repent in fact here's another account that was also recorded about a non-believer performing miracles in Jesus name seven sons of Sceva the the Jewish priests they were not believers they're just saying in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, right? They had no personal relationship, and the demons knew that. Jesus I know, and Paul, I've heard of him, but who are you, right? Here's another example. In Mark chapter 9, verse 38 through 40, John said, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we told him to stop, because he's not one of us. Jesus said, don't stop him. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Whoever is not against us is for us. If God can do miracles through even unbelievers, why? Because he honors his name and he honors his word. If God would perform miracles even for unbelievers, how much more will he do them for us, his children? His children. If the Heavenly Father honored his word, honored the name of his son Jesus when it was invoked, through even non-believers, how much more when we call on the name of Jesus for a miracle, believing for it, telling the enemy to flee and to get packing, how much more will he honor us? Shouldn't we expect him to do the same in and through us? So let's dare to hope again, to let faith rise again, and the only way that faith can rise again is if we step beyond our own abilities, our own bounds, our own limitations. If you step out into the area that only Jesus can do this. You see someone hobbling around and you're like, and you feel that burning in your spirit. And you're like, oh Lord, I don't know this person, this is embarrassing and what if, you know. And you just say, hey, can I pray for you? It's not on you. It's not about you. It's about him. Let him honor his word. You will be surprised at how many times God will actually honor his promises in and through your life. You can ask my own kiddos. They've seen examples of it. You know, ask Becky when, when we've done it. And God performed a miracle right there in front of us. He can do it. He will do it. With him, nothing is impossible if his word promised it, then let's believe it. And let's go out there and let him prove his word once again. Right? Prove his word. Prove himself to be true. Prove himself to be all-powerful, omnipotent.
Let's stop being Sunday morning drivers. Start putting the pedal to the floor, right? Don't walk out of these doors and just go about your normal everyday life. Step outside of these walls. Know who you are. Isn't that what the demons kept asking? But who are you? Know who you are. Tell them who you are. And they're going to start fleeing, right? There is power. Power, right? Wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. In the name of Jesus, amen? Let's get out there and show it. And for those of you who need an expression of the power of God, which is all of us today, come forward. Let the, pray for one another. It's not about you or your sinlessness or your holiness. It's about him. Let him move here in this place and out in that community because they need it more than any of us. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Jesus, we thank you for your name that is above every name. That it's your name, Jesus. We can destroy every work of the devil. That, Lord, even when we're experiencing sickness or disease or, or, um, or, or, or some type of impossibility, some need where we need provision, that, Lord, you have permitted those things in the past so that your power can be displayed. So, Jesus, here we are. We're hungry. We are thirsty. We are desperate for your power in our lives. We can't do this. No one on the face of this earth can do it, Lord. So do it. Work a miracle in and through us so that people can see and know that you are the one true living God. So that they put their faith in you because you're for real. It's not just about words. It's about power. That they can see a demonstration of your power in our lives and through our lives. Lord, help us to be like Paul in fear and trembling. Speak out in the community to those people who need your power. Help us to go beyond ourselves and start believing in you to work miracles once again. To honor your word and to honor your name and to prove that you are the one true living God, the same yesterday, today, and forever, still opening blind eyes, still opening deaf ears, still delivering people from demonic oppression. We just thank you, Jesus, for your love for us in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll go out there and have some fun with this power, right?